Hello, everyone. Before we jump into the podcast with Meredith, I wanted to let you know that past podcast guest Brandon Omshide still has some senior photo sessions open in his schedule for the next few weeks. As the time to catch those senior photos start to count down, make sure to reach out to him soon to confirm your date and get the shoot on the way. Now let's hop into the show. Welcome to the Evernorth Podcast, where we bring on the explorers, dreamers, and discoverers to find out what their true north is in life. Hope you're all having a great day and enjoy the show. Today on the show, we have the owner of Scaling Within, where her focus is in helping entrepreneurs and business leaders identify and overcome barriers, access their inner potential, and turn challenges into opportunities for success. Meredith, welcome to the Evernorth Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yes, glad you could come on. So you've been a licensed therapist for about 10 years? Yes, correct. What kind of got you interested to become a licensed therapist? Sure. So yes, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And how that started was when I went to undergraduate, uh, I had no idea exactly what I was going to major in. I had looked at linguistics and studying maybe editing. Yeah, I pictured myself sitting on a beach editing these really cool novels someday and things like that. And that wasn't quite the right fit. But around the time when I had to declare a major, these things kind of clicked for me where I understood the combination of what I was naturally passionate about and what the world needed. So a lot of times when you're in school, you get feedback if you're good at math or um, good at science, but not necessarily if you're interested in people dynamics and you're a good listener. And so it kind of clicked for me around that time that I'm fascinated in people and personal growth and relationships. And so that made me interested in going into the counseling realm. So then I went to undergrad at the U- University of Minnesota and studied family social science. And why I chose that instead of a psychology degree, which it's very much incorporated in it, is I wanted to get the framework of not just understanding the brain, but also understanding the interrelational dynamics between people. Yeah, so was that something that you kind of found, found out when you are younger? Like when you are younger, were you working with more people? And was it, was it something that you really enjoyed doing? Or was it kind of just different different classes you took that you eventually like developed that interest for working with people? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say it was, it was just this thing that kind of dawned on me um, somehow where it was the things, I wasn't necessarily working a lot with people before that, but I was naturally a helper and naturally curious about people's mm-hmm. stories. Um, But kind of it came together where, oh, I have this natural interest and focus, but I don't have the skills to do that. So you can have an interest in helping people, but have no idea what to do. What if someone's suicidal? What if someone's struggling with anxiety? How do you actually help them? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of this awareness of I'm drawn towards these topics, and I'm always curious when these conversations come up. And I love to listen to people and their stories. Mm -hmm. And then I wanted to get trained and how how can I be useful in those situations so would you say you almost identified your strengths and were aware of them and stuff that you kind of enjoyed doing and just kind of I mean cultivated around those strengths to find what what you wanted to do yeah that actually makes me think of something uh my mom 
said at some point growing up, she said a lot of people, when they try to figure out what they want to be when they grow up, um, it's kind of a stressful thing to think through that. But an acorn, for example, it doesn't stress about what it's going to become when it grows up. Mm. By the properties inherent within an acorn, it automatically grows up into Mm. an oak tree. Mm. So it's kind of like... I want to do out of who I be, or it's figuring out who am I inside, and if those qualities were to mature and develop over time, what would that grow into? Or sometimes I think about it with people, if they were different types of plant, you could plants, you can have a perfectly good plant, but if it's not in the right environment, if it's not getting enough sunlight um, or enough water, you would never know that it's a perfectly good plant. So it's sometimes recognizing recognizing what are the properties inherent in with you and what's the right environment for you to flourish? Okay. And then you currently, so you're the owner of Scaling Within. Correct. When did you start that? Yeah, so Scaling Within is, I would say it's fairly new still, maybe about two years old, which Mm -hmm. to me is still pretty new. Um, And how that happened was, like I said, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and was in that field for about 10 years and specialized in complex trauma and PTSD. So working with a lot of people coming out of some of the most horrific trauma that you could think of. And in that, I got to learn under some of the leading um, therapists, psychologists in the area that understand complex trauma and neurobiology. And so that was a really fascinating experience. But just to go back a little bit, when I went to grad school for marriage and family therapy, I always had this kind of inner sense that that would end up being a foundation for something else, that there's something in me to do in the world that I was, it's hard to put into words, but basically I had this internal sense that there was something I would end up doing that there wasn't a precedent for, there was an example already paved. And so that therapy was actually the route for me to lay a foundation but to be prepared that I might not go the traditional route. Mm -hmm. So all that to say, I did go the traditional route and learn and grow in that field, but it was about maybe three years ago or so where I had this really strong instinctual feeling that it was time to shift gears. And so that's when I closed down my private practice, which was a massive job to do. And then I took a sabbatical. Um, I took a road trip out west for six weeks and took a little bit more time re-gearing up. And out of that is kind of how Scaling Within was birthed. And so with that, the idea behind that was seeing that whether it's the head of a family, a business, or an organization, the issues at the top always flow down, good mm-hmm. and bad. So if you can have healthy people at the top of systems, it flows down into healthy cultures. Mm-hmm. And so scaling within, the vision behind that is it's it's similar to therapy. It's based on that foundation, but it's actually bringing those concepts into the marketplace And it's working with a lot of founders, entrepreneurs, visionaries, kind of people pioneering something new for them to have a space to, um, you read some of it at the beginning, but overcome those mental barriers and the things that get them stuck so that they can continue to grow. And and then the things that they produce into the world, that kind of trickles down into the people that they're creating for and also the people under them and their companies. Mm -hmm. What do you kind of find that most of the people you work with struggle with both internally and externally? 
Okay. What do the people struggle with internally and externally? Yeah, I guess if it, if it makes it easier, like the one most common thing that most of them struggle with. Yeah. So a couple things are popping into my head. So I'll okay. just say in no particular yeah. order, it might not be the most, but one thing that I hear a lot is how lonely it is at the top. And so by the top, I mean, kind of whatever thing that you're creating. So whether that's a well, yeah, a business that's in mature stages or it's the beginning of an idea, it's often fairly lonely to be pioneering something new because when you're pioneering, you're you're just facing everything. You're blazing a new trail. Um, and also when you have a vision for something that hasn't been done yet, it's something that doesn't always make sense yet mm -hmm. to everybody. And so what I find a lot um, from a lot of le leaders is how lonely it is in that place. I think also because especially when you have a lot of employees working for you, it's a lot of times hard to let your guard down. So having that space where you can be really authentic and vulnerable, mm -hmm. I think, is a common thing. And then the other thing I think is a lot of people struggle with being kind to themselves. Something that I talk about often is that healthy leadership. Um, well, actually, before that, healthy parenting is the example I use first to explain this. But um, in healthy parenting, you have high warmth and high structure and expectations. So if you have a parent that's very warm and loving and caring, but there's no expectations, no structure, no boundaries, it's harm harmful for kids. And likewise, if you have a parent where they're all about the expectations and structure, but there's no warmth and love, it's also harmful for kids. Mm -hmm. And I think that also translates into leadership. So obviously in business, there's bottom lines and you have to be about the expectations and structure. But if a leader doesn't bring some level of warmth to the team, then when people don't feel emotionally safe, they shut down mm -hmm. and also they're not able to be creative. So that is true, but also if you flip that towards yourself and your leadership towards your own self, often what I find, especially in the people I work with, is that they have no problem having high expectations toward themselves, but they often struggle to have high warmth towards themselves. Mm -hmm. And you can get so far by... Uh, cracking a whip on yourself and moving really fast, but eventually people hit a ceiling where they, they're they not able to get past that when they're beating themselves up all the time. So for those that, I mean, if the most common thing is they're lonely at the top, what do you kind of do to offer for solutions for them to kind of like deal with that loneliness? Sure. So I think the biggest thing is, so the main part of Scaling Within is individual consulting sessions. And how I explain that is it's kind of like a hybrid between counseling and executive coaching. It doesn't quite fit exactly in any box. So on the one hand, so I'm definitely a proponent of therapy, but a lot of times um, high-performing entrepreneurs, either they don't have time for therapy or sometimes it's hard to find a therapist that really understands high-performance entrepreneurial lifestyle. And then also, there's times where you get a business coach, which is also really helpful, but they might help you focus on the actual business strategy, but not necessarily all the internal things that you face. And so I think part of this lonely at the top or what I found with a lot of the clients that I work with is 
having a space where they're able to just process and work through things. So whether it's relational issues at home getting in the way and coming up, whether it's drama with their clients or employees, whether it's anxiety every time they have to speak in front of a lot of people, whether that's reconnecting to their core vision, just having a place to process and work through and to let their guard down. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing. So the actual service that I offer is somewhat of a solution to that because it's a space where they... Um, where you can kind of come and do the... Um, offer the guidance, I guess, for like how to solve it for themselves, essentially. Yes. Kind of like that time. Exactly. Because sometimes you can't fully do that in your company. You can some, but when you're responsible for people's salaries and things like that, it's hard to be totally vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes at home, it's it can impact negatively your relationships when you're bringing all your work stress there. Mm-hmm. So the other thing I would say that I typically recommend is for founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, whichever kind of category you fall into, for them to look across peaks. So to find other people that are um, in the same boat mm-hmm. because it feels lonely, mm-hmm. but there's and it's often hard to find other people tracking on the same level, but there are actually a lot of other people out there. So finding those times, even if it's um, a lot less often than you would like. It's mm-hmm. still so beneficial to have those times to connect with other founders and leaders. Yeah, I'm sure that probably a good amount of them too probably look at the time and they're like, I don't really want to like spend a whole hour doing this. They may they may feel like it's maybe not necessary for them. Um, is it pretty is it pretty easy to kind of get them to understand um, like what this time would do for them, or is it or do you kind of have to bring them through like a process of understanding or is it kind of like, well, this, this is kind of like what I'd like you to do. Do you mean for the time they spend with me or encouraging them to connect with other founders? Um, I guess both essentially. Would you find it, do you find it hard to kind of get them to take this step of action or do you kind of have to be one that's constantly like motivating or guiding them to do that? Sure. That's a great question. So I would say for the majority of the people that I work with, they're Mm self-motivated. And that's actually what I find works the best. Um, But I think sometimes you have to get at a certain point in your journey to even recognize that need. Because a lot of times when you're starting something, you have to go so hard and so fast, there's not always time for awareness or to recognize the damage or the trail behind it's leaving internally and in relationships. So I think probably most of the people that I'm working with are either at a point where they've hit a lot of walls and so they're recognizing that they need, they're facing a lot of pain points and they're recognizing the need or value of processing through. And sometimes there's people who just recognize that up front, that they want to have that built in going forward. Have you been able to almost identify when people come to you with maybe kind of things you're running into, have you been able to now just identify their problems and different solutions that you'd offer? Or is it still kind of a process to understand them more so? Yeah, that's a great question. It's both and. On the one hand, I think something that's really at least fun for me because of my background in working with really that complex trauma Um I have a background of going very deep with people and really getting to the underlying core things. And so what's interesting in this um, 
in this space is working with a lot of these high-performing leaders where they're able to come in and they have clear things that they're working on, but they're feeling stuck. And it's pretty usually pretty quick to get the, to the bottom of what's actually the core. It's usually quick to identify it. It's not always quick to resolve it. Half the battle is the awareness, and that's why a lot of what I work on with people is growing in self-awareness, because if you're not aware of what's happening on the inside, you can't do anything different. Um, but once we identify what are the barriers holding them back, mm -hmm. then it's somewhat of a journey to overcome those and kind of reshift their neural pathways and how they process things and how to move forward. Do you ask a bunch of questions in order to kind of identify those different points or... Is there some type of process you kind of put them through, I guess? Yeah, that's also a good question. Because yeah. um, I'm curious, like, do you go back to their childhood? Do you just talk about, like, their work life or personal life or other different areas based on, like, where they're struggling in? Kind yeah, of? I think um, there's probably more of a process that I'm aware of. And probably at some point down the road, I'll develop a process, but a lot of it is very intuitive and unique to the person. Okay. And I think a lot of people are presenting with different things and there's just different personalities and wiring. So some people come in and they just need, know they need help, but they don't know where to start. Okay. And that's where I'm going to ask a lot of questions and kind of dig deep. And some people come in and they just lay it out. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm struggling. This is what I'm struggling with. And then we just start to tackle those and troubleshoot those. Have you ever ran into an issue where, let's say, a client comes to you and they're, they're really struggling with this issue? Have you ever been able to be like, I'm not able to solve this problem. I need to find someone else that can help. Or have you been able to? Yeah, that's a good question. So... It's interesting because it's not always so much a matter of just resolving it as it is continuing on the journey. Um, but what often I find is I'm able to help people uncover some things, and a lot of things often actually connect to some childhood trauma, which doesn't necessarily mean some big thing, like some terrible thing that happened to you, but a lot of us have what's called as what's called developmental trauma. And those are more the little things that we um, had growing up or we didn't have growing up that we should have had, that it causes these insecurities or little woundings that get poked. And so something that I recommend a lot of clients to do is something that I am trained in as a therapist, but actually I'm operating in this mode as a consultant, not as a therapist, even though that's my background. So I often refer people to do something that's called EMDR. And that is something that stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing, uh, which sounds pretty complicated. Uh, it's, it's a very well-researched method to work through PTSD or areas where someone is stuck in a certain brain path. And it's this thing where you hold on to these tappers where it's like this little paddle in each palm of your hand and it sends a pulse that goes back and forth. And it's something that's called bilateral stimulation. So it just goes back and forth, right, left, right, left. Um, and the same thing, it originally started with holding up two fingers in front of someone's eyes and going back and forth and having them follow the movement. That's why it's called the eye movement desensitization reprocessing. But basically, that helps where you're stuck in this deep entrenched pathway in your mind 
going through that process, it helps someone reconnect to a higher part of their brain. So it's actually a really much quicker, more efficient way. So there's often things that I can help people through, but what I say to them is this is something that could take six months to a year in talk therapy, but it could go much faster to troubleshoot that in the area of EMDR. So okay. sometimes I do that. So the EMDR is, so they're grabbing the, they're doing the thing with their hands and that triggers the more higher power thinking in their brain, essentially? Yeah, it's it's hard to explain in short term, but it's basically, um, for example, it's similar to the con- concept of REM sleep. So when you're sleeping and your eyes are going back and forth, it's taking things that are kind of stuck in an emotional part of your brain and then routing them through logic and reason. Okay, so it's just a more easier process of kind of coming to solutions yes because often something is actually stored in the brain it got stored in your brain when you were still a kid like maybe you got in trouble doing something and you felt really bad or a bunch of shame for that and then you're an adult and when you think about that you know you were just a kid but you still feel those same feelings of shame. What the EMDR will help do is connect the dots in your mind where a part of you is not stuck still feeling that shame anymore. It actually connects the dots so you know that, oh, I was just a kid, that's no big deal. Okay, that's interesting, super interesting. Um, With your experience working with all kinds of individuals, what's kind of been the single biggest issue that holds people back from achieving success? Is there anything mentally that's kind of been a roadblock for them? Yeah, so part of it, which I referenced a little bit earlier, is the not being kind to yourself. But another part connected to that is self-doubt. I think a lot of us really doubt ourselves more than we realize. So one thing I often talk about is none of us get to choose the family we're born into, the time in history that we live in what are natural aptitudes, Um, but we all have choice over what we're going to do with what we have and where we take that. But a lot of times the things that hold us back are fears about what other people are going to think or that we're not capable, and a lot of those beliefs start really early on in life. So a lot of times it's starting to recognize what are those fears that are holding me back, or maybe it got me so far, but it's not going to get me any further. Okay. And then have you developed any personal habits to allow yourself to do what you do to work with those types of people? Yeah, I think something that I learned. So what I learned from being a trauma therapist, and that's having hour after hour, maybe seven hours a day of working with some of the most horrific things you could ever imagine or hear. One thing that I recognized was that I needed a lot of self-time to recover. So a concept I talk about often in the work that I do is that all of our strengths become a weakness without a healthy boundary to protect it. So a fire loose in a home is destructive, but that same fire within the confines of the fireplace is cozy, you get to enjoy its warmth, it's a positive. So my strength of being intuitive and a feeler, caring about people and their emotions, that's a positive and that's great for the work that I do. But if I care too much, then it's not gonna allow me to be a healthy person and bring what I need the next day. So what I learned is that I have to have boundaries around the work and be able to separate and um, go for walks, hang out with friends, kind of 
be really have my own separate life apart from the client work that I do. Yeah, just be really detached from your work. Have that have that separate time. It's yeah, it's this very um, fine line of truly caring, but knowing that I'm not responsible for the outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And then you also do workshops. Um, both for like businesses as well. How do you kind of structure workshops to be like super effective with your time with them? Sure. Yeah. So the bulk of my business is the one-on-one with Mm -hmm. leaders. And then the other part is where I do trainings for companies, leadership teams, things like that. And how I do that is kind of my main talk is scaling within and That's where I teach this framework that comes from neurobiology, um, where it gives this framework that helps people grow in self-awareness. Because like I said before, if you don't have awareness about what's happening on the inside, you can't do anything different. But a lot of times people don't know what that means or how to do that. And so that's this thing that I teach. And so it either can be done in like a 60-minute lunch and learn style, where it's just the the concepts. And that is really fun to teach because it's something once you see it, you can't unsee it. And once people learn that, it's helpful in all their personal relationships, in their marriage, uh, in their work with customers, in their work with colleagues. It's just highly useful. So I love teaching about that. So that's kind of the foundation. And either it's in a 60-minute sort of thing where it's just teaching the content, um, and then there's time for Q&A. That's actually something I'll be doing at Startup Week, Twin City Startup Week coming up. But then also that can be stretched into up to a half-day workshop where there's more time to have interaction and self-reflection among a team. Do you enjoy doing the workshops part or the individual one-on-one sessions? Man, it's both and. <laughs> I love one-on-one work mm-hmm. because I think it's really one of the things that's my favorite part of what I do is, the, it sounds kind of corny, but the honor to get to sit with a person and to have them let their guard down mm-hmm. and get to really know about the depths of what's happening inside of them. So that I wouldn't trade at all. And I also, though, really like working with the teams and and the companies. I mm-hmm. don't do that as much. It's a smaller part of my business, but it's it's really fun in a different way mm-hmm. to do the dynamics between groups of people. Is there a certain criteria that teams kind of have to meet to be able to do the workshops, or are you kind of free to helping anyone type of way? Yeah, that's a good question. I wouldn't say there's necessarily certain criteria because the way for certain workshops, but for this basic workshop, it's designed in a way that because it's helpful stuff for just every human in general, it's able to be tailored really well, whether it's to a team of executives, a leadership team at a company, or um, I've done it for several companies as kind of like a kickoff for all their people flying in for the beginning of the year. So it's one that works well just on every level. Okay. And then Meredith, what would you say is your true north in life or purpose? Okay, my true north, my true north in life or my purpose. So I'll a- answer the second part of that first because it's popping into my head. I think what really drives it home for me is the thought of liberty for people, which is removing any barriers that get in the way of people fully being who they are. And 
when I think about that true north of that, I'm always thinking about what is the tension of truth and love in a situation, which is similar to what I explained before about that healthy parenting, like the warmth and the structure. I'm always looking at in situations, in circumstances, in people, where is kind of this tension between those two things? Okay. Yeah. I I like that. It's awesome. (laughs) And then if you could go camping for a week with three people alive or dead, who would those three people be and why? Yeah, that's quite the question. Uh, (laughs) um, Okay. So I'm going to answer this just in terms of who I'm kind of fascinated by right now. Mm -hmm. Not so much in terms of how I would survive (laughs) in the wilderness, who'd be the best pick, but I guess who comes first to mind is one Marie Kondo. And for those of you who haven't heard who she is before, you might recognize it once I shared a little bit more, but she now has this Netflix show and she has this book called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying. Mm -hmm. And she's this Asian woman and she has just this whole method of how do you um, remove clutter from your life, get rid of things that have held you back, and then how do you she often talks about spark what sparks joy in your life. So, for example, when you go through your clothes, you put all the clothes that you have in your whole house on a big pile on your bed and see the weight of it all, and then you're supposed to go one clothing item at a time and see, does this spark joy for me or not? And she talks about how do you actually let go of something that served you at one point? Like maybe this used to be my favorite shirt, but it doesn't fit me anymore. And I... Her philosophy on that is really fascinating to me because how much it actually translates to other aspects of life. And what I often see with people is there's things that used to be right in their life or in their business that they're still trying to do, but it's not right for their new season. So that being said, that's just a concept that fascinates me. And I think she would be a really interesting person to learn from. Agreed. So that was just one person, yep. right? Okay. Yeah, do more, do more. <laughs> okay. So I think the other person that comes to mind is Tim Ferriss, who oh, yes. probably Ferris. many people, um, especially if you're listening to this podcast, he has a great podcast that there's tons and tons of episodes that I haven't listened to yet. But I think just from listening to him over time and the way that he conducts interviews and the things that he's curious about, and I think because of my background, I'm without even trying, I'm always queuing into like what happened in people's childhoods, what happened in their childhoods or what are the motivations behind what they're curious Mm -hmm. about. And he's just someone I would be curious to kind of get to know him a little bit more and dig under the hood a little bit. Before you hop into the next person, I'm curious, would you ever start a podcast? Oh man, that's interesting (laughs) that you say that. I actually right before had someone email me and ask me that. Really? Uh, So I think probably in the future, I'm curious about that. Mm -hmm. I don't think I have the infrastructure set up in my business to be able to be consistent with it yet, Uh, but it's something I'm I'm curious about. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, thank you. Um, Okay, and then the last person, this will be kind of interesting, but this is a person in history that I found out was in my family line, and it's a female, and her name was Aud, A-U-D, the deep-minded. So I personally am really fascinating, fascinated by Nordic cultures and Celtic cultures, and I've spent a lot of time in the Nordic countries and, like, Scotland. Um, and I found out only a few years ago from a relative that did our ancestry that I have 
this relative that goes way back that was actually born as a Viking in Norway, and she traveled with her father to the Scottish Isles. And then after, uh, I don't know, some of the men in her life died, she actually hired a bunch of slaves to build her a ship to sail to Iceland, and she promised them their freedom to become free landowners once they arrived there. Mm -hmm. And so she did that um, and was an early settler in Iceland and was known as this prominent, basically badass woman and uh, that gave a lot of people freedom in that place. So I'm just curious about her having such a, a powerful woman way back in, in history. Well, that's a crazy story. How did you hear about that? Like, how did that get passed down? Yeah, so uh, one of my relatives went through the family lines, and so I always had an interest in the Nordic countries. I knew I was Scottish, but from looking at the lines, I found out that, oh, these actually did go back to that kind of Viking culture and the Nordic nations. So I just was looking, you know, just at the genealogy list, just these names, and it that just caught my attention. Mm. And then one random day I was watching some show on TV, and it was showing the the Scottish countryside, and I felt kind of moved by the landscape, and I just decided randomly to Google the name, and I didn't actually know it was a female. And from it, there was a bunch of stuff in history written about this person and what they okay. had did. That was fascinating oh, to me. That's cool. So I'd like that's to amazing. meet her and learn yeah. what she was like. Yeah, that's cool. And then if you could explore one place in the entire world, where would you go and why would you go there? Okay, well, that actually would be some of the Nordic countries, which I have explored some, but there's a lot more to explore. Norway, especially in the north, is so overwhelmingly, stunningly beautiful. Like the fjords and the mountains and the landscape, it's excessively awe-inspiring, and I would like to spend a lot more time there. Mm -hmm. My dream is to have a cabin on a Norwegian fjord someday. Yeah, that's sweet. <laughs> And then if you were to leave your last piece of advice as message right now, what would that be? Okay. I will end it with this little quote that just popped in my head, which I often share in my talks. It's, yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, today is a gift, that's why it's called the present. So the gift is always in the present moment, and a lot of times we either get stuck in what used to be the case and what already happened, or we get anxious about what hasn't happened yet, but to recognize that the gift is always in the present. So even this moment right now is a gift. And so for people to just recognize the gift happening right now in their life. I love that. And then how can people find you, Meredith? On like social media, uh, websites, different events? Yeah, sure. So um, I do have a website, which is scalingwithin.com. And then that's also where you can find me on social media. So Instagram, it's Scaling Within, basically all the different platforms you can find me. Sweet. Well, Meredith, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Pleasure's mine. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes, share it with friends and family, and you can find us at ever underscore north on Instagram and Twitter and evernorthco on Facebook. You want to start? Are you starting? No, I'll, oh. <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll probably know when I start. Okay. I just want to make sure. Okay, it's cool.